This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luke Olivier Dumablet. And I'm Yannick Marianne. And what's our topic for this week, Yannick? The play date. Good. And this week, we don't have any follow-up. So let's jump into the play date topic. Awesome. So if you're not aware, uh, Playdate is a charming little handheld game console put together by Panic, who is a Mac software company based out of Portland, Oregon. And they co-designed this little handheld with Teenage Engineering, which is a Swedish synthesizer company that makes very stylish hardware. Um, and buying the system, it, it's kind of unique in a way because it gets you both the hardware and a season of 24 games, which are delivered two a week during 12 consecutive weeks. Uh, and these are delivered to you digitally. Um, it's interesting because it chooses whichever day uh, it'll deliver to you based on what day you open it each week. And I wasn't sure if it was always going to be on Mondays or if it was going to be the day that I opened it. And what I found really weird is when you go to the settings menu of the Playdate and look at uh, the screen where you can refresh to look for new games, it doesn't actually tell you when the next drop is. So uh, if you didn't know uh, while you were unboxing it that it was going to be a week from the moment you unbox it, uh, now you do know. And the entire idea between this sort of uh, joint proposition for the Playdate is that it would be one worldwide gaming event where everyone would be experiencing the same games rolling out simultaneously, which is not something that was as prevalent back in when the uh, Playdate was originally announced. Uh, it was announced in May of 2019 in an issue of Edge magazine, and they originally intended for it to be released in early 2020. But obviously stuff happened and there were numerous delays due to the pandemic. Uh, So pre-orders opened in July of 2021 and the initial batch of 20,000 playdates sold out in 20 minutes. Uh, I was one of those uh, original 20,000 playdates. And then uh, the system was eventually shipped for real officially starting on April 18th, 2022, which was early this year. And I thought it would be really cool if I waited until I had played every game and gotten every week of games and just made a giant episode where we talk about not just the Playdate hardware, uh, but also uh, all of the games that were released for it, as well as the seasonal model uh, for game releases, and talk a little bit about like what SDK, uh, what the SDK story around uh, the Playdate is, because as they say, every Playdate is a dev kit. Uh, So we'll be talking about that as well. So uh, I know you're, you've been excited for this episode for quite a while. Uh, you've had the chance to play it a couple times in my place. Yes, uh, I guess when you hear our beloved voices, uh, we will have seen each other again. Uh, but at the time we're recording, I don't have, I didn't have experience with all those games either. I think when we first met after you received it, I think it was maybe week three or weeks two. I think it was week three. Yeah. Right. So I had a, what it's will be six games at yeah. that point so i like i think and i didn't play like for an hour i think i played like 15 minutes just with a couple of games and that's it so i really have limited experience with it uh when you reminded me that this week was this topic uh i was kind of i did not order one still and i'm not planning to order one but i am eager to hear your opinion about it because i guess that might change i was kind of a i was indifferent i think about it it was it seemed pretty cool uh but 
I never felt the urge to uh, press the button, as we might say. Uh, so who knows? Uh, maybe I'll be one of the people that uh, will be compelled or uh, really enjoy this episode and your review of it. That will make me change my mind about the console. I wouldn't be surprised that at some point I will get it. But right now, that hasn't been the case. Cool. Let's start off by talking about the hardware. Uh, so there are a couple of things that stand out about the Playdate hardware uh on its own. The first thing I think that really stands the crank. out... The crank! The uh, crank! Well, I wasn't going there right away, but oh. yes, there is a crank. Uh, you C- can Come on, you, you had to go there first. No, it actually wasn't my first thing. I was going to talk about the display, because the display also jumps out at you very, very fast. Uh, Fair. Bo- both for what it does that is different, and also for what it doesn't do. Uh, so it is a 2.7-inch, 400 by 240 pixel display. That's 173 PPI. It is a one-bit display, which means it can only display black and white. There are no grayscale tones here. And it is a sharp memory display. And what's actually really interesting about this display is that the entire story of the Playdate sort of came out of seeing this part. Uh, they they had like a sample of this display, and they saw it for the first time, and they were like, we need to build the game console with this display. Uh, so without the display, there might not have been a Playdate, which is why I thought it was important to put it first even though the crank does exist yeah and, and i know and i've seen it display, and we'll talk about it more but i still i still put my vote on the crank shall be first but it's your episode so yeah we'll, we'll see if you stick by that by the end of the episode uh the interesting thing about the sharp memory display uh, is that it has similar properties to e-ink displays but it's not e-ink and what i mean by this is hmm. It's not backlit, which we'll get back to. Uh, mm-hmm. It is highly reflective for good readability in uh, direct light. Uh, it can be always on and have variable uh, frame rate. I believe you can change the variable frame rate from one frame per second to 50 frames per second, which is one of the rare like weird quirks of this hardware. It doesn't go up to 60. It only goes up to 50, which is like a cool throwback to the PAL days, I guess. Um, <laughs> or a bad throwback, depending on what side you fall <laughs> Um, it has incredibly good viewing angles, as you would expect from something with similar properties to e-ink. I'm not exactly sure how it differs from e-ink, but I'm told that technologically it is somewhat different. And I think the display is the very first thing that everything mentions in the Playdate reviews, because as I said, it's not backlit. And like at the, at the same time, I, I love this display. I think it looks really, really good. I think it works in a lot of scenarios where I did not expect it to work well in. Uh, so this is not like an original Game Boy or a Game Boy Pocket. Uh, it's definitely much, much better than that. And it shows all the technological process progress that has been made since those consoles were released back in the day. Like You can get away with this display in a surprising amount of scenarios where other consoles would have fallen on their face. And of course, there's no way you can actually know that until you've actually held one yourself, which is kind of the downside is that a lot of people are projecting their thoughts of how well this display would work based on how they expect previous devices that have used non-backlit displays to work. This is a different ballgame, and people need to realize that. Uh, at the same time, like I understand the complaints. Like People would like this to be backlit. I think it would be nice if there was a backlit version of this as well. But for me, it's not a deal breaker, and it seems that for a lot of people it is a deal breaker. Um, but for 
like if I'm being perfectly honest in all of the uh, situations where I would be playing this, I have not had to light it more than I normally would to play this system. So I don't hmm. think it's a problem for me. But if you are playing in complete darkness all the time, then yes, I understand. Uh, but like my apartment is pretty dark and even with dimly yeah. lit rooms, it still works. So I don't know what to tell you there. I would preface this by saying that yes, I know Yannick likes dark environment. Uh, I've played with the plate at this plate with his uh, dark lit rooms and I did find that it was somewhat problematic if you remember I think that was my main gripe about the plate I really enjoyed my 15 minutes with it um, but yeah it the I, I think the best way to describe it n- now that I kind of recall what I felt at that point was it felt to me that I needed enough ambient light or even direct light to the display like I would if I were to read a book. And I really mean a physical book. Um, so I wanted to have some direct light so that I can see in the display. And I think it, it would work a bit better than having like real direct light uh, when you read a book. But you need some for sure uh, to properly see the benefits of that display. Which was my main surprise uh when i played with the device so what's what's interesting with that is that uh i mainly play the play date in bed and hmm. when i'm in my bed usually i use uh, like i think it's like 30 or 50 percent brightness uh dark pink uh light uh hue light next to my bed so it's quite dark and i can't read manga with that lighting but i can play the play date with that lighting which is sort of the situation where I think it's kind of weird. The other thing I would say is this is going to vary a lot depending on the art design of the games you're playing, uh, which I think you didn't necessarily have the best selection of games when you came and tried those uh, things. I think there are some that read a lot better than others. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, So I I will come back to the display because I have a whole section on controversies later. Uh, Okay. But I do have a dumb question about the display. Can you... Can you say the name again? The Sharp Memory Display. Okay. And I assume the word sharp here is not the brand. Yes, it is the brand. Oh, okay. So it's a real sharp display. It's not a sharp display as an adjective. No, no, no. It is a sharp part. Okay. So yeah, I told you my question was a bit dumb, but I wasn't sure. No, no, no. And I believe this is the same uh, display that is used in modern day G-Shock watches as well. Oh, I see. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so next up, I want to talk about the controls. Uh, so obviously, like the like any other uh, system, there's a D-pad. There are two buttons. Uh, there's a home button, which you can use at any moment to bring up a little menu that lets you go back to home, change the volume, and uh, take a screenshot in any moment, which is really cool. And then there's the crank, which uh, tucks into the device uh, on the side. There's a little slot, and you can just, like, pull it out of there and crank it up. Uh, it is a really good-feeling crank. Uh, like, they're they're not lying to you when they tell you that the crank feels good to turn. It, it does feel good to turn. It's also a prominent gameplay mechanic for a lot of the Playdate uh, game library, and we'll talk more about that when we get to the software. Um I think the D-pad has a little bit of squeak to it sometimes, which is not super pleasant. Uh, but I think like all D-pads eventually get to that point. Like my Game Boy Lite has a little bit of squeak to it uh, sometimes as well. Uh, I'm just not super 
I, I don't like squeaky sounds very much, so I, I would prefer it if it didn't squeak and if it was more clicky, like uh, the PlayStation Vita or something like that. Uh, but it's not pronounced enough to be a huge issue. Uh, the buttons feel good. Home button feels good. Nothing to complain about with the controls. Again, we'll get to the crank when we talk about it in actual use with the software later. Uh, I bought the optional magnetic flip cover for this. And it's really funny because I was going to complain about it, and then I realized I've been holding it wrong this whole time right before recording. Uh, so. Really? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So it's an optional accessory. It's sold separately for $29 uh, US dollars. However, you can get uh, get it basically $10 cheaper if you buy it alongside the Playdate. Uh, it snaps really securely into the Playdate with magnets that are also uh, little pegs that goes into s- some of the holes that are... Uh, I'm pretty sure there are just ornate holes on the playdate that just look cool and have exposed metal and stuff just to look cool. Uh, But those pins go into the holes and just snap really well. It feels very secure when you're in it. Uh, My original comment was going to be that it looks good in pictures, but it kind of gets in the way otherwise. And I didn't realize that you could just flip the cover all the way back. And then you have to hold it it's a little bit thicker when you have uh, the flip cover uh, all the way back because it doesn't uh, lie flat against the console. So it's like angled, uh, but you can hold it and it is way more comfortable than if you tried to do what I was doing before, which is just lift the cover, don't put it behind the thing, and it would constantly fall down over the screen and the magnet would clip back on and you would just want to take the whole thing off, which is what I usually did. Uh but now that I know that I've been holding it wrong, well, Steve Jobs is laughing at me and uh, up there or down there, wherever he went. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, so now that I know that I'm holding it correctly, uh, I can re-recommend this. Uh, it looks good in pictures, and if you hold it right, it does the job. Wait, did you just say up there or down there? Who knows where he went, dude? Oh my goodness. Oh, okay. Okay, I'll let it pass. Anyway, uh, next up, I want to talk about the battery because this is the only place where I've sort of had an issue with the Playdate hardware uh, whatsoever. So I had battery issues around launch. And from what it seems from uh, Twitter searches that I did around the time of uh, my shipment, I was not the only one who was experiencing this. If you go onto the website, they quote an eight-hour battery life and two-week standby time. I think the eight-hour battery life for active usage time is accurate. However, the two-week standby time, I have no idea how they got to that because most of the time mine dies about a day after being taken off a full charge. And that is terrible for a handheld system. Uh, like, trust me, I've used a lot of handheld systems. I've used uh, the 3DS with a bad battery that lasts 15 minutes. I've used the 3DS with a full brand new battery. I've used the PSP, which is notorious for dying very quickly on standby. I've used all the generations of PlayStation Vita, like, this is the worst standby time I've seen aside from that 15-minute 3DS battery, uh, which was literally, like, dead dead. Um, it's It really sucks if you're making a handheld system to not have enough standby time to actually be usable on the go without charging it every day. Especially for something like this where... It's not the kind of platform that you're getting regular new games for. Like, usually only about the... Uh, like, it, for example, the Switch. Like, the Switch is actively seeing new games regularly. I'm going to charge that thing every night just because I'm actively playing it 
fairly regularly. Whereas the PSP, PS Vita, sorry, my best friend, the PS Vita, you're not seeing a lot of games released regularly anymore. In fact, your store is kind of almost shut down. Uh, I don't have to charge you as often anymore because I'm not going to be using you as often anymore. Uh, except when I'm like dedicating time to play a specific game on that system. Uh, it's not the kind of thing that is useful to keep uh, topped up regularly. And I think the play date, because I sort of already have all the games, I don't have that mental con- connection of thinking about it that much. Uh, because it's not getting regular releases that I can get easily, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, so I'm not putting it on the charge every day, and therefore when I get to it, like 90% of the time it's dead. And that's really not good for a handheld, which is ostensibly about playing it on the go. Uh, so this is like the big issue I have with this hardware. Uh, I was given the chance to return it, uh, but given the hardware production issues and delays, it was just like, well, yeah, you can return it, but good luck getting a replacement device. And I was just like, nah, fuck it. I'll just deal with it uh, because I don't want to <laughs> stop the season three weeks in. And then who knows when I'll be able to resume the rest of my uh, playdate season. I would rather just go through the games and deal with the issue myself. Uh, so that's my personal choice. Uh, but I just want you to be aware of this. Like, It doesn't seem to be an issue that was localized to me. And what is actually kind of interesting and coincidental is that uh, one of the things that caused the last delays for the playdate is that the first shipment of playdates that they got had bad batteries and they had to send them back to Malaysia I think to get them all swapped out with good batteries and I just think it's funny that I would wind up with an issue uh, with a battery issue on mine uh, even though technically they should have all been replaced I don't know if I don't know what's going on there, but it just kind of sucks uh, to be to get a lemon unit of sorts. Um, so yeah, I don't want to say you kind of shall have to expect, but again, it is kind of version one of the product, right? Yeah. So I am not. It's sad to say, even ignoring the pandemic weirdness, and we talked about that greatly last week when I, uh, two weeks ago when I talked about getting a car uh, in the past six months uh, so I'm not surprised that uh, possibly having problems with batteries is kind of not normal but not normal not expected but kind of the norm sadly these days so I hope that gets fixed and it kind of sucks a bit that if you really have a defective device and you kind of call support and say hey can I claim my warranty and they're like yes you can but we don't know when you'll get the new one or you'll get a new part. It kind of really sucks. Yeah, and we we've seen similar issues. I think it was with the studio display uh, last year uh, or this year. Uh, I remember hearing about something like this for an Apple product. I just can't remember right. where, I, which one it no, was. No, I think you're. I think you're correct, and I think that was experienced by uh, Jason Snell. Yeah, that sounds on right. His personal device, not even a, a review device. So, so yeah. So I I I hope at some point when they get maybe less. Not less popular, but less. They have more stocks that you will be able to uh, possibly reconsider uh, your support ticket, and then they'd be kind of pretty open about it. Say, hey, I opened it, but decided to keep it, knowing that I want to test, not test the device, but play with the device. Uh, but I'm still on the May. I guess I don't know if it's a one year warranty. I'm still I on the honestly warranty. don't remember. <laughs> right. So I, I hope that maybe let's say like in three, four months, if it, the situation gets better, that uh, you still be able to reconsider that and possibly have a replacement device. Another thing I'm not entirely sure about is I know that uh, before 
the battery issues that I, I mentioned, well, before the battery issues that Panic experienced with their first batch of shipments, uh, I know that they had to do a board redesign because the parts that they were using in their original board design just stopped being manufactured during the pandemic, uh, which meant they had to completely redo that. And I don't know if those quota numbers were measured on the old board or the new board. I would assume, given Panic's meticulousness, that it's probably the new board, but who knows? Um, so I just wanted to add that. And then that's a that's an issue that we also have with our own projects at work. Uh, when we deal with <laughs> electronics, uh, parts market is a fucking mess right now. Uh, so great. Uh, speaking of things that are a fucking mess right now. No, just kidding. Uh, let's oh, talk about yeah, yeah, pricing. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, Playdate is sold for 179 US dollars by itself, $199 with the flip cover. So that's $10 savings, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, if you were to order right now, it would you would probably get your play date by early 2023, uh, which uh, we sort of debated about. Uh, and our personal understandings is probably sometime around March. Uh, but don't quote us on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I did say like in preparation for this show, I look at where they are and I said, Danny, oh, it's not too bad. It's early 2022. Like, yeah, I heard rumblings that early 2023 assume like not spring, but close to spring. So I'm like, oh, okay, no, then that's back to six months. Yeah. Because again, if you could get one, like let's say first or second week of January that and you order now, that would be way better than what you experienced uh, six months ago. Definitely. Okay, now I want to talk a little bit about the controversy surrounding this device. I'm not going to mention all of the controversies because some of them are kind of stupid. Uh, like there have been, there were issues around the name play date and how it was overlapping with uh, a developer meetup at uh, I I think it might have even been in Portland or somewhere around there, and uh, there, there was a whole debate about whether. Playdate was panic was allowed to use the name playdate or not, or whether they should continue to use the name playdate even though they legally are allowed and all of that stuff. But that's not important to uh, the scope of this episode. Uh, I want to focus more about basically what people were sold because <laughs> uh, one of the things about the software seasonal model is that you were kind of going into this with no idea what software you were going to get if you ordered this device. Like you saw snippets of like one or two games, actually mainly one game. <laughs> you saw like screenshots of maybe three or four other games, but you saw a video of one game, uh, which you don't really see that for consoles. You don't get like a console and then sort of find out on the day you're buying the console what games are available for it or what games you're going to get for it. And those are the only games that are released to the system and deal with what you get. Um, so there, there were people who were uh, understandably kind of concerned that they were going to buy this thing and they were going to hate all the games. I think uh, overall, there is a little bit of something for uh anyone in this um but we'll get to that in the software section seriously if you're that pessimistic pessimistic in life just don't buy the console if you're literally i'll buy the console and you know what because i don't know the game i'll assume i'll ate them all it's like then don't buy it if you're so unsure or so sure that life will send you lemons like wow well to, to be fair i had similar concerns but I bought it anyway. <laughs> and we'll get to okay. that later. Okay, yeah. Ultimately, like my, my goal in buying the Playdate was not necessarily to wind up with a, uh, with a product I was uh, satisfied with. It was more to support panic than anything else. 
and again, we'll we'll get back to whether or not I was satisfied with it at the end. Uh, but the other controversy was mainly around missing hardware features, right? Or expectations people had that were basically people wanted a different product than what this was. So the first thing, of course, no backlight. Like this was the, immediately the first thing that came out is like panic is there going, trust us. Look, we, we built this device because we saw the display and the display is so cool. We want to build something with this display. Like just trust us that it's going to be cool. And it is cool. It's also not backlit. Like, I, I understand the trade-off there. Uh, this is probably the thing that if they do make a Playdate 2, like, they will sort of have to capitalize on this point. Like, there is so much bitching about the backlight that I don't know how they can make a Rev 2 of this with no backlight. Again, not a deal-breaker for me, but I understand it. Second thing I understand less, though, is no color display. People are like, why is this black and white? And, like... <laughs> I, I thought about making different games for the Playdate uh, to test out the SDK thing, which ultimately I did not have the time to do in time for this episode. So maybe next year I'll have an episode where I talk about the SDK stuff as a user more so than as an observer. Um, and to, to me, like the issue is more like, sure, co color could be nice, although I think it doesn't work with the idea that you have this fancy display. Like you can't get a color display that has those elements to them that has the, those qualities to them uh so it would have to be like a normal lcd or an ips and is that more costly than what they're working with and, and this is another controversy is like this device is too expensive at 170 dollars honestly like really you people get people say that yeah, yeah yeah i've seen it a lot because wow. people are comparing it to and this is the other complaint people are compare, comparing it to 50 dollar emulation devices from china on aliexpress and, and it's like well yeah i've used some of those products i've used some of those products that cost more than the play date and they fucking suck like you have low standards for a device if you think that those devices are acceptable and this honestly for the level of how good the hardware feels putting aside the battery issues for how good the hardware feels 170 dollars is a very reasonable price for what you're getting also understand that like panic is not a giant corporation <laughs> i don't know like they're not nintendo they're not like swimming in cash uh i want them to get a healthy margin out of this and i'm not convinced they are because this device feels really premium uh so but yeah, and, and the other thing, of course, is like, this is not an emulation-focused device, so it's not interesting to me. Well, go buy the shitty $50 emulation handhelds and stop bitching about the product then. Like, please get out of my face. Like, a lot of people do not understand that this product appeals to people who are not them. And instead of realizing that and just, like, not paying attention to it and going back to their stuff, they just want to complain about it every time it is mentioned and like uh, on select button i seriously stopped talking about the play date in public because i got tired of having to defend why i'm excited about this product every time and that sucks uh it's very rare that i'll have those kinds of moments where there is something that like i am optimistic about or just excited for i wasn't necessarily optimistic for the play date but i was excited about it just because i'm curious about this shit and just getting shut down all the time for like things that are just like i'm sad this is not a 50 dollar emulation console is just like well don't fucking buy it then you're not buying it anyway i don't know it, it's it just annoys me and i just wanted to address that before the show like I, I don't understand and the other thing is like 
there there are also like Raspberry Pi based and uh I can't remember the other sort of uh, maybe Arduino but not quite but like uh, there are like open source handhelds like that where you can just like buy parts and build your own handheld and coincidentally like when the Playdate was announced they started making Playdate look like kits that have IPS displays and color displays and you can get them for like $75. Everyone was like, "See, this is what the Playdate should be." And I was like, well, that looks like a science project, and this looks like a finished product. I would rather have the finished product. So if I have to pay ninety-five extra dollars for the finished product, I'll just pay the ninety-five dollars for the extra product, and I'll save myself the trouble of doing a science fair project. So anyway, that wraps up the controversy section. Now we can go back to being relatively uh, positive about things and uh, not getting stepped on for liking things. So I'm going to start the software section by saying. If you're thinking of buying a Playdate and you want to go in completely blind to have the uh, the originally intended seasonal uh, seasonal experience, uh, you can just skip forward to uh, we're going to have chapters in the in the episode. Skip forward to the uh, SDK section. Unfortunately, you'll miss out on hearing like all of my thoughts on all of the 24 games that came out. Uh, but that's how we save you from spoilers. I'm not going to spoil anything about the story of these games, if there is any. Uh, I'm just going to tell you what the games are. Uh, at the same time, if you just go to the Playdate website right now, by default, spoilers are on. So you will know if you go to the website and you don't click the don't show me spoilers button first. Um, but yeah, you've been warned. So from here on out, I'm going to go week by week through all the games. I'm also going to talk about sort of my impression each week. Uh, with each week's games and sort of keep a running tally of the games I liked. Hey, just before we start, I was uh, quickly Googling this sharp memory display and it seems that it's being sold for like Arduino and things like that. And can you guess the price just for the display if you want to get by it for your... Uh, here it's for your Adafruit uh, version of Arduino shit like that. Is it like $30? It's forty four ninety five on the Adafruit.com website. So people are saying that like, oh, I can get something for $50. Like the display is literally $50. So yeah. It's yeah, but they would rather that, have a color IPS. So <laughs> that's probably cheaper, honestly, right now. But I, I don't know. I don't care. It's not the yeah, product no. they wanted to make. I know, it's just funny that while you were explaining the rents people have about the price, it's just that it's quite easy to get to, like, okay, if the display is $50, you can expect that they put at least, like, $50 in parts, so let's say it's, like, maybe, like, $7,500 for the whole device, so, uh, you know, what, like, a $80 profit and, like, R&D and things like that, it's not too bad for uh, electronics, so, yeah, I guess I'm just, it was funny that I was looking for that while you were explaining it, and that it made some sense so so sorry for the interruption you can continue about the spoilers well i'm done with the spoiler uh warning now i'm just gonna go into week one so oh no yeah yeah. i mean the real spoilers oh okay (laughs) so weeks one week one's games are whitewater wipeout by chuhai labs and casual burger by diego garcia so Whitewater Wipeout is an arcadey surfing game. It was kind of inspired by, uh, I don't remember the developer's name, but uh, California Games, which was this game that was released on the NES and the Atari and probably the other lesser systems that were kind of like the Atari that no one liked. Uh, it California Games is like this compilation of multiple uh, extreme sports, kind of like what you would export, uh, expect from the X Games, like, 10, 15 years later, except that 
the dex games didn't exist yet. Uh, and one of the games in California games, and I think one of the more popular ones was a surfing mini game. They basically took that surfing mini game and made it entirely for the play date using crank controls. And what's interesting about this is again, like you're a person on a, a surfboard and you need to surf on the waves. And the way you do this is turning the crank tr- sort of turns the angle of your board. Uh, so you sort of have to ride up the wave and then do tricks or spin at the top of the the crest of the wave or whatever, uh, and then not bail out and then try to do this as much as possible. Uh, it's a square attack game. So you just do it until you fall off your board uh, a certain number of times. Um, it's interesting that this was one of the first games released on it because it is a relatively shallow game, pardon the pun. Uh, it has like one game mechanic that you are expected to repeatedly use over and over again to do things. It's like, it. I mean, very much in the same way that Infinite Runners are kind of like that, like Infinite Runners, like Cannonball and those kinds of games that were very popular on phones back in the day. You basically just have one action, which is jump, and you just have to not mess up <laughs> any jump. Uh, otherwise, you die and your score goes down. Here, though, it requires a lot more uh, dexterity, I would say, because it's really not easy to control uh, with the crank. Like, it's fun to turn the crank, but I never feel like I actually mastered how you are supposed to control this game. And because of this, like, it doesn't have a lot of longevity. It feels more frustrating to play than it does feel fun. And that echoes a lot of the comments that I've heard on podcasts and on Twitter about this game. So I think it's a relatively like weak pick for a lot of people uh, from the first week, which is unfortunate. Uh, the next game is Casual Birder by Diego Garcia, and this is basically what happens if you take the idea behind Pokemon Snap and make it a top-down adventure game. Uh, so it's a game where you take photos of various birds and you try to take photos of as many birds as possible throughout your town. And there are sort of these other more experienced birders that make fun of you because you're just a casual birder. And it's kind of a critique on uh, on the game world where there are casual gamers and there are hardcore gamers and the hardcore gamers often talk down to the casual gamers uh, and judge them in various unfair ways. And this is sort of taking that idea and applying it to something a little bit more ridiculous, which is uh, bird watching and taking photos of birds. Uh, and this game is incredibly like cute visually. Um, it uses the crank to focus your camera, which I think is a really interesting uh, use of the crank because it's really done well. Like for a black and white display, it's not necessarily clear how you're going to convey to the user that they're focusing their camera on something when you can't really do grayscale or blur in a convincing way. And the way that you do this is with actually dithering things. So things that are out of focus are more dithered or um, like there's a a sort of pattern that's applied uh, as a mask on top of it so that it appears slightly lighter as if it was like, uh, like if there was a depth of field effect on it. Uh, so I think like that aspect of the game is really well done, uh, but it has sort of this nauseatingly twee writing, which is kind of an issue with a lot of games on the play date, where everything is very happy and tongue-in-cheek and self-referential to a nauseating degree. 
And that was kind of the turnoff for me is that I really don't like that kind of tone in games. I think it's really overdone, uh, which is something we'll get back to later. Uh, And I just didn't enjoy this game as much as I thought I would. I think visually it's very pretty. uh, And like I think fans of Pokemon Snap are going to enjoy this, uh, but it's not for me. So week one is off to a bad start. It gave a very bad first impression because no games really stuck with me. So after week one, we're at zero out of two games that I enjoyed. Let's move on to week two. Week two is interesting because it features one of the games that I expected would be in week one, which is Kranken's Time Travel Adventure by Yuvula, which is a uh, studio where Keita Takahashi, who did the Katamari Damashi games, uh, is working at right now. And this is the game that was in all the initial marketing for the Playdate. If you've seen a video of the Playdate, it probably had this game running on it, which is why I expected it would be in week one. Uh, Surprisingly, it wasn't. And this is a game where you use the crank to play out an animation. And what's interesting about this is, uh, so like the, the general gist of the game is Kranken, I believe this this robot or automaton thing like it's a crank up robot kind of like a toy you would see and he's going on a date with someone and uh you play repeated versions of this scenario where he goes on a date except there are more and more obstacles that are presented in front of you and through controlling the animations with the crank and making them line up with the timing of the uh, events that you see in a given loop of the date, uh, you have to make it so that he doesn't run into any of the obstacles. So it's kind of a an optic- obstacle course game that is played by moving forward and backward through animation frames in real time with the crank. Uh it's a neat concept. It's not the kind of game that I'm really into, but it, I mean, it's incredibly well animated because like it has to, it it looks like a real wind up robot that is moving like one would move in the real world. And it's surprising how fluid the animation is when you are able to control it arbitrarily with the, uh, with the crank at any moment. So, like, it's very technically impressive game. It's just not very interesting after the first three or four times. You're like, okay, I've seen everything this game has to do, kind of, uh, in the first 15 minutes. So, it, I wish there was more there uh, to latch on to, but there really wasn't. The next game isn't actually really a game. Uh, so, it's Boogie Loops by Meili Ko and Andy Matsuchek. And this is not a game. It's music-making software. In fact, it's a lot like Mario Paint's Composer View. Uh, So this is really cool, but it's not really a game. Um, So if you're looking for a game on week two because you didn't like the games in week one, if you don't like Crankin', there isn't really a game there for you. You can make cool music, though, but it's not really a game. Uh, I mean, it's very competent uh, music-making software, but it's not a game. So... Yeah, still kind of off to a bad impression with week two. Uh, right, I was about to say off to a bad start. Yes. Week three, though, that's where things start looking up. So uh, this is interesting because I, I've beaten one game 
and I love the other game, which is weird because usually you'd think that I would have beaten the game that I love, uh, but we'll get to that. So the game that I beat is Lost Your Marbles by Sweet Baby Incorporated. Uh, this is basically... So it's it's a fill-in-the-blank narrative story, uh, kind of like playing Mad Libs, but the way that you select the words that get fed into the story is by playing a minigame, and that minigame is essentially Camel Tree, which is a 2D arcade game by Taito that looks like what we now know as Super Monkey Ball. It's just in a 2D plane. It takes about an hour to beat the whole game, uh, but... It has a lot of, well, if you're into uh, seeing all the various uh, wild scenarios you can have, uh, there are many branching routes depending on which words get selected at which time that lead to more ridiculous uh, situations. I'm the kind of person who, again, like I mentioned with Casual Burger, I think that the tongue-in-cheek twee writing is really not something that I enjoy, so I don't intend to replay it, but I had a good time while I was playing this. I stuck with it mostly because I really like Camel Tree, and I was fascinated that someone actually thought, hey, we made a game that's basically just Camel Tree with text between the levels. Um, I don't think it controls particularly well. That's the only thing that uh, I'll say about it. Sometimes you get stuck in very frustrating situations, and it's not really clear how you get out of them. Uh, So there are a lot of moments where you're just fucking around trying to get out of a space or trying to get out of being stuck between two things. And luckily, like there's no harsh time limit or anything. So you can take your time to get out of there. But I just wish the, the levels flowed better uh, to get you to various things. And sometimes it's like very intentionally made. So the, the interesting words that you want to select for your story, because on top of each goal, you see which words are associated with them. Uh, So you can see by, traversing the map like oh i've i see those words over that goal over there i should try to get that one to get a more ridiculous outcome or whatever uh sometimes they are ridiculously hard and you're just going to be like i'm tired of fucking around to try to get to the one that's funny so i'm just going to get to the other one and move on uh so i guess maybe that adds the replayability if you're interested more in the narrative outcome of this uh but yeah, it was it was a nice little hour-long playthrough. Uh, I enjoyed what I played of it uh, during that hour, but I wouldn't revisit it. The game that I really love, though, is Pick Pack Pup by Nick Mengi, Arthur Hamer, and Logan Gabriel. And this is the cutest match three game you'll ever see. It's about a dog who has worked to the bone at a fulfillment center for a large internet retailer who may or may not rhyme with Amazon. Uh, <laughs> it's, That's a funny premise. Yeah, it's a very feature-rich game. I think it's probably the game with the most modes of all the games that was released on Playday overall. And there's lots of gameplay variety throughout those modes. It's not just like, this mode has a timer, this mode has a score, and ooh, that's the variety. No, like there's actual like game rule variety uh, in these modes, and I think it's really good. And this is like what really... Um, what really solidified in my mind that you don't actually need to have novelty to be good. Sometimes you just need to nail the execution on a genre that's been done a billion times before. And that's just good enough if you do it well enough. Uh, and pick back up, like it is a match three game. You, you see a ton of those, like everyone has probably played a dozen match three games in their lives. Everyone knows how to play them. 
you can waste a ton of time. I spent like six hours straight playing pick back pup one night and I woke up and it was like 2 AM and I was like, what the fuck happened? Uh, like you can get lost in this game. And aside from aesthetic, which is very, very cute. There is nothing novel about this game. Really? It's just done incredibly well. And it's a genre that a lot of people love. So I wish there was more of this on the play date because I think there were not enough safe picks on the play date, I think. Uh, and we'll get back to that, obviously, at the end. Um, so if Pick Pack, Pack Pup hadn't come at this time, I would have been disappointed in my purchase because week one sucked, week two sucked. If you get to week three and you don't have a banger, I'm going to lose patience and I might not pick up the play date as often. And I think it came at exactly the right time. And judging by internet comments, I think a lot of people felt this way. Uh, and I think this is kind of the moment where I became concerned that they just messed up how they ordered the games and maybe there was more good stuff coming afterwards. And I think numbers wise, that does turn out to be the case. I think the first half of the lineup is pretty weak and the second half of the lineup is more promising, which is not really good. If you're trying to sell people on the idea of coming back every week, you don't want the first half of your lineup to be relatively boring. So let's get to week four. Uh, week four's games are Flipper Lifter by Serenity Forge and Echoic Memory by Samantha Zero. Uh, Flipper Lifter is a game kind of like Elevator Action. Uh, so Elevator Action is an arcade game where uh, you go up and down in elevators and uh, you shoot people, I think. Uh, Flipper Lifter is nonviolent. It is a penguin-themed uh, Elevator Action-style arcade game. Use the crank to make the elevator go up and down, which is really cute. Uh, you take penguins between floors of the building as efficiently as possible. More floors get added over time. And it's just like this endless challenge of just trying to keep up with all of the penguins in the office building who need to go up or down. Uh, it gets very chaotic. It's a lot of fun. But I feel like I've played this game before because I have because it kind of already exists. So aside from the paint job that's on this thing, it doesn't feel like i don't know this doesn't feel like the kind of game that is as that hooks people like pick pack pop it's i mean it's interesting because like i know elevator action so i'm like oh i know it's one of these games i think elevator action isn't necessarily in the radar of all the people who are going to be buying a playdate so maybe they would get more enjoyment out of it but for me this was just like okay i get it move on to the next thing <laughs> which is kind of unfortunate it seems to be a recurring comment though yes that dimension you're getting the theme uh the next up is echoic memory by samantha zero echoic memory kind of as the name implies it is you know those simon games where you have to press the four buttons in the order that they usually play out mm-hmm Okay, think of a much more musically ambitious version of that. It is much more, uh, like, sometimes there are more, like, hip-hop elements or techno music elements. So it is much more musically interesting. Uh, there is a story about how, uh, like, this repetition all of that is to build things in a factory. So there are narrative elements there. But ultimately, it's basically just Simon. It's just with a fancy patent job and with better music. So... Like, as cool as it is musically, there's not much there either. So it's kind of concerning again. <laughs> then we get to week five. Week five is interesting. Uh, there are two very interesting picks in week five. 
the first is Omaze by Bre- Gregory Kogos. Uh, he calls this a circular puzzle platformer. I'm not sure if I really agree with that theme. It is definitely like a circular themed puzzle game. I don't know where they got the platformer from. I mean, eh, kind of. Um, but basically, it is uh, a very geometrically uh, themed puzzle game where you have like the the first set of levels just so i'm not spoiling any later game stuff uh are all of these circles and you yourself are a circle who orbits inside the black circles and it's as the name implies it's a maze uh you have to get to the end of the maze uh by uh orbiting around the center of these various circles and using different paths to get there. And sometimes there are additional obstacles that you need to evade. So you need to change the rotation of the circle uh, you are in. Uh, It's very difficult to describe this game orally, um, but it's actually very good and uh, well executed. So I would recommend checking it out. All of the graphics in this game are generated in code using basic shapes. So the file size for the game, I think is 60K, which is the smallest of all the games that I've seen on Playdate. It is super impressive technically. It's also just really fun to play. Uh, so th- this is another banger. I-, I would recommend this one. The other one is Demon Quest 85. Uh, Demon Quest 85 calls itself a demon summoning game. And basically, like, you get this book which contains descriptions of various demons and sort of, like, what they like uh, in terms of music, what they like in terms of food, the personalities they gel with, uh, that kind of stuff. And it's a game where you have to pay attention to, like, these demon descriptions. uh, And your goal is to become more popular at school because you're a teenager in the 80s. Uh, and that's all the teenagers in the 80s want is to be popular at school, I guess. Uh, and you have to bring together the right uh, the right classmates to your house and play the right music and uh, give them the right food and uh, talk to them in a way that they are uh, aligned with in order to summon these demons so they make you more popular in school. It's kind of a wild premise. Uh, I I kind of understand what this is a reference to. Uh, In the Shin Megami Tensei games, you can generally negotiate with demons uh, and talk to them to basically uh, add them to your party. uh, And then you can go use them in combat and stuff. Uh, But this is basically if you made an entire game out of the demon negotiation system and they gave you the strategy guide at the same time because it's right there in the menu. So it's like, I almost wish they hadn't put the book in there, but then people would probably get frustrated because it's too obvious what you actually need to do to summon the demon successfully because it's written in the book. You just have to read it and then go do pretty much exactly what is in the book. Uh, So I'm not sure what they're going towards with this. Uh, And there's another game that is very aesthetically different from this like this is a very demonic and like 80s satanic panic kind of thing uh themed which i i like that aesthetic i think it's really cool but there's another game that is the polar opposite of this aesthetically that does basically the same thing and better uh later on so that's kind of weird and that's like one of the first um occurrences of heavy overlap in games between two titles on the library. 
Uh, so I'll mention it when it comes up, but yeah, like this game has another game that is aesthetically a polar opposite, but basically the same game, which is kind of awkward. Uh, so ultimately I think that, uh, both of these games were promising in different ways. I think Omeus is a good game, but it's just tricky to control sometimes. Uh, but overall I had a really good time with it. Demon Quest kind of demonstrates something that I was worried about, which is that I was worried that dark games wouldn't do well on the system uh just with the display and this game demonstrates that not only does is the dark game viable with this display but games with a creepy detailed aesthetic can also work with this display like any concerns you have about how limiting this display is to art design and uh aesthetic cohesion all of that goes away when you play demon quest because it is extremely loyal to the aesthetic that it's aiming towards and it just looks really good in action uh, but again it, it, it seems it seems more like a proof concept for the fact that the display can handle these things and less so than an actually fun game to play over in week six we've got another game that's pretty interesting uh hyper meteor by vertex pop this is basically what happens if you take asteroids but remove the shooting. Instead of shooting the asteroids, uh, asteroids are split into uh, two halves. There's a white half and a black half, and you basically just have to ram into the white parts of the asteroid to make it split into halves or uh, quarters or whatever. And you have to avoid collisions with their entire black side. So here you use the crank for steering, you use the up button on the D-pad for acceleration and the right direction on the D-pad for bomb. Or if you're a lefty, uh, you can use the A and B buttons instead. Uh, so this is actually pretty fun. Uh, there's another sort of asteroids game that I think is better suited to the uh, playdate that's coming up later. Uh, but it's a very good one. Uh, the other game is Zipper by Bennett Foddy. So if you're not familiar with Bennett Foddy, Bennett Foddy is responsible for uh, inflicting, uh, take, uh, getting over it on the world. Uh, so if you're familiar with getting over it, getting over it is a game where you have to climb up a giant mountain, except you are repeatedly given the chance to fall down all the way down to the bottom of the mountain and have to climb all the way back up again. Uh, it's a very challenging to control a game and a lot of Bennett Foddy's games are intentionally difficult to control. Uh, this is also the developer who made Co-op, which is a game where you control an Olympic runner with QWOP, and you control basically like both their upper leg and their lower leg independently, and it is incredibly fucked up to play. Uh, Zipper is, I, I guess, fitting for a Bennett Foddy game. It is the only Playdate game that left me completely confused when I played it. And it's even more confusing when you revisit the game. Uh, and I'll explain why. So it's a turn-based puzzle game that is inspired by samurai movies. You know, like in samurai movies, when there's like a freeze frame of like someone standing somewhere. And then you hear like a whoosh of wind and then they're sliced in half. But you don't even see the, the samurai on screen because they went too fast. It's an entire game based around that premise which is, what? as a samurai, you invade a castle by speeding past your enemies as fast as you can, so you slice them in half and kill them. This game is also, I believe, the only game in all of the Playdate that does not have a tutorial. Everything about how the game is played and the patterns of the enemies 
that you need to learn from to evade and all that stuff. All of that you need to learn by deduction. What's really weird about this game is that I had played it when it first came out and I didn't remember anything about it. And then when I went back to it, I tried restarting my my save point from the start because I was like, oh, I don't remember where I was in this game. I'm just going to start over. And when I did that, I was at exactly the same place I was before because it just put me in the same place because there's no tutorial. There's no menu screen. You just start the game right away. So I was at exactly the same place because presumably last time I had played, I had died. And this is the other thing the game does. When you die in this game, you start at the beginning every single time. So it means you really need to sort of play it actively and sort of focus on it so you don't forget the rules about how the game works. Otherwise, you are going to have to relearn them all over again because the game isn't going to teach you. You're going to have to teach yourself. Uh, again, this is not particularly something that I consider to be bad game design. Uh, it can work for a lot of different kinds of games. Uh, for me, this is just not action-backed enough. It's it's a puzzle game that is turn-based. It's not like action-y at all. And there's sort of a disconnect here. Uh, like I've played other samurai-ish games like Neo or uh, Sekiro, which are Souls-like games with uh, samurai patterns. And just as punishing mechanics and uh, rules that you have, to, uh, patterns that you have to memorize and stuff like that. I'm more interested in playing those kinds of games in an action-y context than in a puzzle context. So this one didn't really work for me. Uh, but I, I also just mentioned that absence of a tutorial because I know for some people that is a complete roadblock. If a game doesn't have a tutorial, they're not interested. Uh, I'm not one of those kinds of person, uh, those people, but I also don't really care about this game. So right now, if you're keeping a track, uh, that is half the season down, and we have three good games out of 12, or at least three games that I've liked out of 12. Yeah, that's a bad ratio. <laughs> it's a bad ratio. It gets better uh, later, I think. But uh, yeah. Week seven, uh, the two games this week are Questy Chess and Executive Golf DX. So Questy Chess is a game by Dadako, and it is... It's very interesting. So basically, this is what happens when you take the movement mechanics from playing chess and you create a puzzle game with them that also happens to have RPG combat mechanics. Uh, so I should point out, like, uh, I know this isn't the case in the French side of the uh, math curriculum, but in the English side of the math curriculum back when I was in school, you spend the first three years of elementary learning how to play chess for half the year. So I know chess movement relatively well. Uh, I can play chess. I'm just not good at playing chess well. Um, so I know all the rules. So that's not an issue. So it's really interesting to have these maps that were designed uh, as a sort of puzzle where you basically have to move the same uh, movement restrictions that various chess pieces have to navigate these maps and then also you have combat mechanics on top of that that just happen from fighting random, uh, well, basically capturing various pieces on the map. Uh, you can interact with special tiles to pick up items or manipulate the map state. So there's like this one uh, special tile you can go into, which is the terraformer that lets you uh, basically select a column of the map and then change how they are arranged, how the tiles are arranged on that column of the map with the crank. Uh so I think this game ha is very interesting from a mechanical perspective. I haven't played a ton of it, but I do want to play more of it. Uh, it's it, it, it tickles my brain worms in the right way. 
Next up is Executive Golf DX by Dave Makes. And this is a pretty straightforward golf game where you have to golf to the top of an office tower. Uh, so basically, like there are holes in the ceiling. It's a, it's a side view of the building. And uh, there are holes in the ceiling that you can go through to get to the next floor and all of that. Um, you can find special golf clubs and power-ups along the way. So one of the ones I had is like a bouncy ball golf club that makes your uh, golf ball a bouncy ball like, uh, like you know, the super bouncy balls that you can buy like at the dollar store or whatever, uh, which gives it completely different physics. And that's just really funny. Um, there, there are a bunch of other ones. Like one of them lets you go through objects, which is really nice. Uh, so you have a bunch of these little gimmicks that you can find throughout the building and just climb your way off up this office tower. You can also do it in the opposite direction. You, I believe when you start the game, you can choose to go down the, the office tower, which is really interesting if you want to play it in a different way. Uh, so, I am terrible at golf games, but I will always love them because they are just a chill way to pass the time. Uh, this is a pretty good one. So uh, I also recommend it. So I think that so far, this is the first week where I've recommended both games. Yeah, I was about to say that. It, it's a good week. So th- this will probably not make sense given that fact, because this was the last week that I actually followed along with in real time with the playdate. Uh, it wasn't oh. because the games were bad. Because obviously I like them both. It's because I became really busy at work and I f- forgot to charge the playdate a lot of the time. And I just showed up and it wasn't charged and I had to put it on the charger. And then I... F- so afterwards, like I was not playing these games uh, regularly every week. For a lot of these games, I have played them in the last week. Uh, so there's less of the weekly commentary on how I felt about my purchase. Uh, there's going to be just more impressions about these games. Right, but... I. I think it's, I think it's enlightening that you mentioned this because for the past few comments you didn't mention. Oh, I'm not sure if I'll continue playing with it. And then poof, after what? Where this week seven, seven weeks. now? Yeah. Right. So uh, after seven weeks, you kind of gave up because the, your it ratio after it's four, five out of fourteen right now. Yeah, it's not so high. So I I understand why that happened. So I hope it's getting better, but. It should, it should. Uh, week 8. Uh, the first game is Saturday Edition by Wild Rose. This is an adventure game about an alien abduction story in the 1970s. Um, it has Weird. Be- yeah. Um, and it's it's nice to see these kinds of uh, adventure games. Like, I think you would really like this game. Uh, it has beautiful graphics and animations. It reminds me a lot of, like, what they call cinematic platformers, uh, like Prince of Persia and all of that stuff, where they almost, like, rotoscope humans to try and get uh, the frames of the animation to match how humans move in real life as much as possible. Uh, So, like, uh, that's really impressive. The fonts in this game are amazing. Uh, I mean, it's typical for me to get horny about fonts. Uh, And it has absolutely amazing sound design. Um, like in general, there is good sound design on Playdate, but this game has lots of ambient sound from various locations and it's pretty good. Uh, so this is not a genre that I generally enjoy because it's mainly narrative based and I am more of a mechanics guy. Uh, but if you're a fan of the genre, it looks like a banger and really well executed, uh, and honestly, I think because it was so impressive visually and uh, just aesthetically in general, I think I'm going to give this one a shot uh, longer term, even if it's not a genre that I typically enjoy. 
so it's just that impressive. So uh, kudos to the team there. Uh, did a really great job. Really impressive game. So now we get to the game overlap thing that I was talking about. <clears throat> this is a game by Panic, which is awkward because the other game was not by the creator of the Playdate. So it's kind of like when Apple and a third-party app kind of make the same thing in parallel, and then you get... Th- it's That's the, the Playdate version of that. So this is a game called Star Sled. Uh, once again, kind of inspired by the whole... Uh, uh asteroids thing this is a game where you fly a spaceship around a star field with the crank uh what's actually really funny is if you go to the controls page it says if you know how to control a hypermeteor you know how to control this game and it's almost like they knew that there was kind of some overlap there uh and the goal of this game ha- does not involve destruction at all it involves you take your ship and you basically draw circles around uh, various like shiny stars on the map without hitting any obstacles. So it's like a non-violent or non-destructive version of the same idea. And uh, there are basically these sectors with a number of sparks on the map that you have to clear and you have to clear it as fast as possible for bonus points. And it's a square attack game. So you try to get as many points as possible. This game is an incredibly good, chill game to unwind with. Uh, I really like this game. Uh, I like it more than Hyper Meteor, honestly. I think it is less awkward uh, to just encircle these sparks, and it is more satisfying just from a tactile playing with a crankway. I think it is more satisfying to draw circles around stars than it is to ram your ship into the white part of asteroids. Uh, so from a tactile enjoyment point of view i really like star sled i think it is the better of the two spaceship games i'm going to call them spaceship games so i think like you could have just had star sled and not had hyper meteor and i think you could have put another game in place and it would have been fine but it's just kind of awkward that here you have basically the first party and the third party attempt at a similar game and the first party one wins over the third party and when was the third-party game released? In which week? Uh, like week five, I think. Okay, so they're, they're kind of close week six. to each. Okay, so they're really close to each other. Yeah. Hmm. Like, if they had been on opposite ends of the of the lineup, it might not have been so obvious. But if right. you're scrolling them from top to bottom, you're like, well, or like you don't remember which one is which because they're too close together on the list. It's like, <laughs> it's kind of awkward in that way. Uh, speaking of overlap, let's get to week number nine, uh, because this is where the other uh, genre overlap thing is going on. So the first game for that week is Spellcorked by Jada Gibbs, Nick Splendor, and Ryan Splendor. And this is a crafting game where you play a witch at a potion store. You combine different ingredients with different uh steps that you do with various tools to brew different potions and fulfill customer orders it has an absolutely art style yes it has the tweet writing that i don't like but i don't care and it has good music uh if you're a cooking mama fan or an atelier fan you will love this game and it's basically the same game as demon quest mechanically it's just this is very cute has free animals it has a witch it has but not like an evil witch it's like a happy witch uh because of course uh it's the play date what would you expect this game reminded me that there's an accelerometer in the play date because some parts are played in portrait uh this this game just makes 
really good use of every hardware feature on the playdate in a way that Demon Quest does not give a shit. Demon Quest is just like, I don't know, use the buttons, navigate the menu, choose the right options, you win. Uh, This (laughs) just makes you more involved. Uh, It kind of has that... I, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, even though I'm going to mention it in a derogatory way later, but it has that DS launch game feeling where it's like, mm. I need to use all of the gimmicks on this hardware. And of all the games on the platform, this is the one that uses all the gimmicks to its best, uh, at, at its best, honestly. Yeah, it's what game, like, launch title wants to be. A good game that shows all the gimmicks, but it's not all, it's not only good because uses all the gimmicks it's good because it's a good game yes and i think it's really interesting because like one of the first things you do in the game is you grind coffee beans with a mortar and pestle and they actually Uh. recreate the feeling with the crank of actually using your two hands to grind coffee uh Hmm. it i don't know it's really well done i honestly like i think i forgot to include this one in my score tally for this week so i'm going to have to add one to all my scores going forward this is just a really good game i'm not sure this is necessarily the kind of game that i would normally play but they did such a good job that i don't really care it's just i want to play more of this and i know we're not at the end of the list yet but it feels to me that maybe that's kind of why you bought the playdate is to get surprised by game genres that you wouldn't play usually and that now because of the season pass thingy that you get surprised because there are games you wouldn't wouldn't expect for them to be good and they were amazing yeah, and like sometimes these games will just, as you think about them, you get a more positive outlook on them. Like I played this game yesterday and I didn't necessarily have the greatest feeling about it then. But now that I'm thinking about it now, I'm a lot more into this game than I thought I was yesterday, right? Uh, so right, sometimes right. it can build on you over time. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah, I, I think I like this game more than I thought I did. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, now let's talk about literally the best game on the playdate. Ooh. It's a panic game, which is awkward again. Uh, okay. First party game. Maybe, before I continue, maybe I should ask, how many play like panic game are they on the uh, Let me see. Season? One, two, three. I think it's three. Let me okay. see up here. So you know what? I know you've been mentioning it's a bit awkward, but if there's a literally three panic game out of twenty-four, well, it's like hmm, it's like three and then two half games, kind of. Uh, mm. It'll make sense once I get to it because there there's okay. other games that are not by panic but are by staff members of panic, <laughs> uh, which is kind of weird. Uh, and I don't necessarily like sometimes they have aliases, so it's difficult to say, but. Um, Right, but it's not released under the panic name, but on no. their own possible brand or yeah. personal name. Okay, I see. Uh, like there, in a couple of weeks, there's a Firewatch themed game, which is not a panic game, but it is by someone who worked on Firewatch, right? So it's like mm-hmm. it's kind of ambiguous there. Uh, right, but yeah, let, let's get back to the game that I want to talk about, which is actually the best game on the playdate, which is Inventory Hero by Panic. This is kind of an idle game, I-D-L-E, which is like uh, if you know Cookie Clicker or games where you don't have to really do anything except for press a button sometimes. Uh, it's a real genre of games if you're not familiar with it. Uh, this basically is an inventory management idle game. When I 
so this is one of the few games that they showed screenshots of before the play date was released. And when I first saw this, I thought this was a trading card game. So I was very excited hmm. to see this game eventually. Uh, it is not a trading card game, but it's still pretty fucking good. Um, huh. So your character. So basically, there are two halves to the screen. On the top half of the screen, your character walks automatically inside a dungeon and automatically fights enemies. And as they fight enemies and wander around the dungeon, they will find items. The bottom half of the screen is your inventory, and you have a set number of inventory slots on the bottom of the screen. When items come in. Uh, you can use the D-pad to move left or right in your inventory slots, and you can choose whether you want to equip an item, hold onto the item, or toss the item. And on the left side of your screen, you see your character and the gear slots that are equipped. So if you're wearing, let's say, a sword that does five damage, and you're wearing a hat that has two defense, you'll see that visually on the thing. There is item durability, so you need to pay attention when items are flashing because they are about to uh, break, and then you need to equip new gear whenever an item breaks. Uh, items can have like little, uh, it's like uh, card symbols, so like uh, spades or uh, diamond, uh, heart, and uh, the other one that I forgot, clubs. Uh, so if you have multiple items of the same affinities attached, you may get extra bonuses. And you ha you can get various kinds of annoying items uh, that can just bother you and create actual tension in the game. So there's uh, trash items, which do nothing. They just fill a slot. There are bombs. If you don't dispose of them fast enough, they will deal damage to you. There are rabbits you can pick up, and rabbits will breed very quickly and fill up all of your inventory slots. Uh, so it's just... It starts very... Uh, relaxing and straightforward and all that stuff but level two it gets very chaotic very quickly and you need to start fucking around in your inventory and equip things and toss things and be very uh quick so when i said it was an idle game it starts feeling like an idle game but then it gets a, becomes a very chaotic game where you need to manage a lot of stuff in real time and i think this is the only game where it feels like there's a lot of tension and uh it demands your attention at all times and i think that makes it a much more compelling game for me and my mechanics-focused brain because it gives me a lot of stuff that I need to be worrying about, and those are the games that I like the most. Um, so yeah, I think this is the most the most mechanics-rich and gamey game on the playdate for like hardcore gamers. They will fall in love with this game, and uh, for me, it's the best game of the system by far. So if we add the one for spell quirk that I forgot to uh, to count i'm currently at eight out of 18 games which is a better ratio yeah it's getting better yeah um unfortunately i don't like the games for the next week <laughs> oh <laughs> we week 10 uh, we have snack by stfj which i believe is the studio name for zach gage who does a lot of popular ios games based on various board games he does really bad chess he does uh, fuck, I forgot the name of the Solitaire game. Flip-Flop Solitaire, I think. Yes, and there's a Sudoku one too? Probably, yeah, that sounds like him. Uh, but yeah, and he did the Helvetica game a long, long time ago, I think. Um, but yeah, basically this is the classic Nokia phone game Snake, except your snake can jump now. And there are other mechanics that kind of incentivize the use of that jump. Uh, basically, like, I think... Uh, creatures can latch onto your body, uh, like your tail of your snake, and you have to sort of like jump 
honestly, I never figured out what the mechanic <laughs> is. Is I never it made no sense to me. So I don't like this game. Um, and like, I don't need to play Snake. I've played enough Snake in my life. Um, <laughs> Hopefully, on a Nokia phone. Uh, not that much on a Nokia phone, but mm. I've played enough games. Like the GLTron is basically just fancy Snake, except everyone is in the Tron life cycle, uh, light cycle. So that's cool. Um, next game is Sasquatchers, and I'm so sad that I don't like this game. Uh, it's by Chuck Jordan. And it, like it, it has two words that I love to hear when I hear about video games. Turn-based tactical, like that is my jam. I love that shit. This is where it kind of stops being good. Influencer simulation game. What? Yes. So uh, instead of being a turn-based strategy game with robots or with armies or all the usual stuff, this is a game where you are a bunch of people who are going camping and you're taking photos for Instagram of Sasquatch. (laughs) Wow. And That sounds so stupid. It is incredibly stupid. It's really funny. Um, I, I took some funny screenshots uh, of this game. Like, if, if you want to take funny screenshots, it's a great game for that. It's not particularly the most interesting game if you thought you were getting a turn-based RPG, let's just say. Um, so, yeah, th- th- this is a game. Uh, your campers have various skills. Like, some of them can attract the Sasquatch or uh, stun the Sasquatch temporarily because the Sasquatch can attack you, but you can't attack the Sasquatch, which kind of sucks. Uh so basically you just have to avoid as much taking damage from the Sasquatch and all that stuff. You also need to get close enough to actually be able to take photos in f- with you in the f- frame with the snapshot. Well, it depends. Uh, you have a photographer uh, character who can take photos of the Sasquatch. And then you have the guy who always takes selfies who will take up half the frame with his face. So you need to have half the face be your face uh half the frame be your face and half the frame hopefully contain a sasquatch to boost your points and your likes and your uh your followers it's just the influencer simulation part completely turns me off um if it wasn't for that if it just had like traditional combat i think i would be very into this but it's just kind of too silly for me. And I don't know. I just I don't like thinking about influencers, really. Uh, and I don't want that in my tactical games, please. I'm just going to go play Front Mission instead and deal with giant robots attacking giant robots. That's much more fun. So week 10, kind of a miss for me. Let's move on to week 11. Week 11, uh, we got Forest Byrne's Up in Smoke by Nels Anderson. And this is a platformer based on Campo Santos Firewatch, which was also published by Panic. Um, at first I thought, uh, I, so this game is weird. Uh, when you start the game, it puts you in a random platform level that is about 30 to 45 seconds long. And then when you finish the level, it takes you back to the start screen. So, like it, it, it's not a, a set series of levels. It's you start the game, you play a random level, that's it. Start over, uh, which is a very strange thing for a platformer. Like I've never really seen that before. And basically, like this level has a bunch of collectibles that you can find, and there is a wall of smoke that is catching up to you on the left side of the screen. So you sort of have to go at a certain pace, or you die, and you get. Uh, swallowed up by the smoke uh, so th- i think like 
it's kind of trivial to beat these levels easily in 30 to 45 seconds. So I don't think like they put any challenge into are you able to beat the level or not. I think the challenge in this game really comes to can you get the collectibles or not. Uh, which is generally not the way I play platformer games, but fine, I'll give it a shot. Uh, and like then it becomes a lot harder because if, especially if you want to get uh, all the pieces, sometimes they're in very hard to reach places and you have to do weird things. Um, you have basically two buttons. You can jump or you can dig with your shovel. So sometimes you have uh, walls of dirt that you have to shovel through uh, to get to different places. Uh, this, this is just a really well-executed platformer, honestly. Uh, it, once you get past the thing where the levels are 30 to 45 seconds long and you can never replay a specific level, which is really strange. Like you, You're just fed a random level every time and you just kind of have to go with it. Uh, if you can get aboard that idea... It's fine. Uh, the, the other thing is you can collect puzzle pieces that make posters from the Firewatch universe that you can unlock. Uh, so it gives you sort of a bonus reward if you actually uh, get collectibles in these levels, uh, which is kind of neat. So pretty good game. Next up is Battleship Godios by TPM.co Softworks. I believe this is the only... Uh, no, it's the second. Uh, I was going to say it's the only Japanese developed game, but I forgot that Keita Takahashi is also a Japanese developer. Um, but TPM.co Softworks is a small indie studio in Japan that mostly makes uh, hardcore uh, shmup games uh, for old PCs. So they are extremely niche developer, and I was shocked to see them here. Like, the, this is extremely catering to me. Uh, <laughs> it's a side-scrolling space shooter, obviously, and sort of the gimmick with this one is that your ship's bullets bounce off of surfaces. And if you want to be able to shoot again, you need to catch the bullet with your ship. Uh, unless you can find a bullet pickup, in which case you may have multiple bullets at once. So if you get a, a bullet pickup, let's say, that has two bullets in it, you get to shoot two bullets, and then they are both bouncing around the map. And then if one of them uh, ends up leaving the screen behind you, you don't have that bullet anymore for the rest of the game, well, at least until you pick up another bullet somewhere. And the aim is that there are a bunch of these motherships that are scrolling to the left side of the screen, and you have to destroy as many of their cores as possible. When you die, this is a really in interesting gimmick. You can rewind your ship to any prior point uh, throughout that life. Uh, so you can basically like correct navigational mistakes you may have made, uh, which is honestly something really smart. I've never really seen that in a shooter before. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if another shooter has done it. I've just never seen it myself. Uh, so that's a really cool thing. And after you die three times, well, it's game over. Hmm. Uh, it's a really hard game. Uh, but that's kind of to be expected for that genre. And uh, I'm really excited to play more of that game as well. So uh, another week with two winners. We're up to 10 out of 22. Whoops, no, not... Yeah, 10 out of 22. Are you ready for the final week? I am. Week 12. We've got another Panic game. Oh. B360. And I think, like... Th this is classic panic where they make a little nod to Apple culture without calling attention to it. So as you may know, uh, Steve Jobs was involved with the development of the original game Breakout, which is uh, when you have the paddle on the bottom of the screen and you have bricks that you have to clear out at the top of the screen. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak were both implicated in that whole story. It's a part of apple lore uh so i think it's really cute that for the last week of the play date they have 
basically a breakout variant called B360, which is breakout played in a 360 degree play field. Uh, hmm. So the bricks you need to clear are in the center of the screen. The play field is surrounded by four walls that disappear when it's first touched by the wall uh, by the ball. So you basically get one safety bounce off of each side of the play field. And then you just rotate the crank to get your paddle to where the ball is going and bounce it off of that paddle to clear all the bricks. Uh, this has a lot of polish in the menus and the UI. Uh, it's one of the most polished UIs in the entire uh, Playdate library. And it's just pretty solid. Uh, it reminds me a lot of when Breakout was on the iPod, too. <laughs> uh, nice. For the couple of years that, that was there. Uh, yeah, it's just it's a competently executed one of those games. And it's really polished. And I recommend it. Last game here is Ratcheteer by Sean Inman, Matthew Grimm, and Charlie Davis. And this is a Zelda-like game. Uh, but it's a Zelda-like game with a twist. Uh, it takes place in a dark world where you need to light your surroundings with a lantern. And, of course, this lantern is powered by the Playdate's crank. <laughs> <laughs> so you constantly uh, are forced to crank up your lantern. And honestly... I know what they were going for, but it's kind of annoying. <laughs> um, I I don't know. I didn't gel with this at all. Uh, I'm not entirely sure because Sean Inman also worked on uh, Pulp, which is something we'll discuss in the uh, SDK section, which is a tool for non-developers to be able to make games. I'm not sure, but I think this might be a Pulp game just to test out that it's actually like able of doing the job. Right. So th there's that that's interesting from a technical level, but from a gameplay level, like if, if you like Link's Awakening, you will probably like this game as long as you're not annoyed by uh, the lantern cranking all the time. Like that's the thing that ruined it for me. I was just like, no, I can't do this shit. <laughs> the the way you describe the mechanic reminds me, I think it was on uh, The Last of Us when you were using flashlight. I think it's not that frequent you had to do it. That's the way I recall it, but it might be more frequent than I remember it. But uh, for a few times in the game, when I last played it, you have to shake the controller when you remember when you have a like flashlight and it's about to turn off. Everybody has the reflex of like shaking it. To oh, make it. yeah, so I think I've seen you, that somewhere. You you have to do that, and I remember that it's just there, like it's present maybe three or four times during your playthrough. That's the way I remember it, and it's I think to me that that's just enough. So. It, Maybe one of the fix I hope they will do for this game, if you say if it's you need to do it too frequently, is possibly remove the frequency uh, of when you need to do it. Yeah, I think it's like a key game mechanic. So I'm not particularly interested in mm. the game because of that. Okay, I so see. we we've done week twelve. Uh, we are at eleven out of twenty four, which is one more than I thought I was going to have uh, at the start of this episode. Let's talk about the season as a whole. Fundamentally, I think that a lot of Playdate games lack a hook that make you want to play it more. Or rather, I think that many of these games have the exact same hook, and the hook is not sufficient for me to want to sink time into a game. And mm. the hook is that it's charming. Games can be charming, but fundamentally, games should try to be fun first and optionally charming second. 
it needs some kind of substance bet- beyond its charm to latch onto, uh, whether it be strong mechanics, a good aesthetic, uh, to be a technical achievement, or feature a good story, depending on the type of person you are. That's just my personal ordered priority list. And the problem with the Playdate is that too many of the games on the Playdate are just charming, but not actually fun or interesting to play. So if I had to summarize my feelings on season one as a whole, like that is the main issue with a lot of the games is that it's like, yeah, I see what you're doing. I get the joke. I've been in this game for a minute now. (laughs) What is there uh, beyond this? And it's just like too often you find out, oh, there's nothing beyond this. Okay. Bye. Yeah. And it seems that it's not long enough for you to kind of like, to make it a commute game, for example, oh, you're you're in the bus or in the train for like 20, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and you want to play a game. And even that, for sometimes the game you describe, it seems that that would be a, a too long of a play date, if, I, if you pardon me my bad pun here. So what's interesting is I have a lot of thoughts about handheld games because, of course, I'm playing through all of the Bandai Wonderswan games chronologically for YouTube. And... Uh, I think it's not necessarily bad to have a varying range of different, like, like I talk a lot about attention levels where if you're out in transit, you're probably going to have a certain level of attention that is not the same as if you're playing in your bed at home, right? Uh, Right. And you have different time requirements for how long sessions should be. uh, And it's nice to have a lot of variability in what you have uh, to flesh out your systems library so that your system is relevant at all stages in someone's uh, daily day-to-day, right? So I I think Playdate is fine there. The issue is not that the games are of a certain length. It's that you get bored of them too fast. Or mm. they, the, the thing that attracts you to it is just on the surface, and then there's no substance underneath it. That's really the problem that I have with these games more than anything else. Okay, and the surface com- goes back to your comment of saying it's a lot, it's charming, but yes, once you realize it's cute and charming, it's like okay, then what's next? And then there's nothing. Yes, and hmm. at the final conclusion of this episode, I will also have something that ties into that, but I don't want to spoil it right away. <laughs> uh, the other thing is, being the first season of Playdate games, it has a, the same issue that a lot of launch lineups on platforms with gimmicks have. It generally takes about two years for developers to figure out the correct ratio of when to use different hardware features or what features make sense and what use cases. In certain cases, developers are contractually obligated to use all the features of the hardware, like on the Nintendo DS for the first two years. Uh, and surprise, those a lot of those games have not aged well. Uh, it's just they were trying to shoehorn too many things into the thing for no good reason. And it takes about two years usually for developers to be like, oh, we understand the balance now that we need to aim towards so that people don't hate our game. And it's kind of damning that a lot of the best games on the Playdate today don't use the crank or only use it as a marginal secondary input mechanism. Aside from like uh, Spellcourt, which I mentioned is the crafting game that does the mortar and pestle thing, right? that game, like, yes, it uses the gimmicks, But it's the only game that kind of uses the gimmicks in a way where you're like, oh, this actually makes sense for the thing that is happening on screen. Or uh, when I'm pouring a a cup of coffee, you make me tilt the playdate and then I see 
the cup in portrait orientation on the display because of the accelerometer. Like there are brilliant touches like that, that you're like, oh, you actually thought about how to use this hardware. Whereas a lot of the other things are just like, it's kind of the first idea that would come to mind if I told you, hey, I made a handheld with a crank. Or you're trying to force it into a game that doesn't really need to use the crank. Those are kind of like the two the two poles that most games find themselves on. Right. And regarding that, do you feel that the first party games from Panic strike a better balance of this? I do, because Inventory Hero does not use the crank at all, as far as I know. Wow. Uh, it's entirely right. buttons, and it's my favorite game on the system. Uh, Star... I forgot the other word. Star Sled? Yeah, Star Sled, which is their uh, circle, the stars thing. Right. Like, that... It, it's clear that they understood that, oh, it's definitely more satisfying to make circles with a crank than it is to kind of just use it to drive something into obstacles randomly. Uh, so I think, and it makes sense. They had the longest time with the hardware than anyone else. Uh, yeah, yeah. But that would be even more damning if it, they still struggle to figure a case for out of the features. Yeah. But the panic games use the crank remarkably well. I think the third party games have a lot more issues. And I, okay. I think part of that is because a lot of developers did not have development hardware for more than half the time they were developing their game. Uh, a lot of them were using software emulators on their uh, home systems. And that's just, I don't know, it's not great. Another note that I have about the crank, which is really weird, is every time you talk about the crank to someone, everyone says, oh, so there has to be a fishing game, right? Nobody made a fishing game. How? How? Really? Nobody made a fishing game. How? I don't I don't get it. There's even Wait. an accelerometer in the thing. You can do the thing where you try to throw the the line into the I, I don't get it why is there no fishing game no but isn't it that no fishing game was chosen for the season but that you can uh side load a fishing game i don't is think one exists game? right now really as far as i know i don't think there is interesting yeah so if anyone wants to make a fishing game uh, go for it um and my last point on the first season of games is more care needs to go into the ordering of the games to and to avoid overlap in genre between these games. Uh, first impressions are everything, and you can't have duds for the first two weeks of your season. And this is pretty much exactly what we saw with Playdate here. I think uh, the music-making game, uh, Booming... Booming... Boogie Loops. I think that's a good week 12 game because it's like, here's something that is not a game, but it's like a bonus treat at the end. Having that in week two is kind of weird and awkward. Like, I understand you want to talk, you probably want to show like software diversity and something like that. But at the same time, because week one was so weak game-wise, it's just awkward. Uh, Right. Yeah, that feels to me like a software you want to put, not even at the end, you want to put it in the middle because you want to start with a punch, you want to finish with a punch to remind your users to come back to the the console uh so possibly week 11 but as, as you mentioned to say a we also have different type of software we don't have only games uh but to me if it was in the middle it would have made more sense and like i was trying to seek out other uh opinions about week one and week two games because i was like is there anyone who actually agrees with these week one and week two games who actually had a good time with these games? And 
like I, I'm sure people like everyone has different tastes. So there are sure, certainly people who would have fallen in love with a casual burger or whatever, despite the writing or whatever. And that's fine. But overwhelmingly, I just saw people being very frustrated for those first two weeks that there were just no games they vibed with. And that's not a good way to start your brand new system. And I think if you just take Pick Pack Pup and you move it to week one or week two, the story becomes very different because now you have something that you can sink an infinite amount of time into if you don't have any games that you're involved with. But because it was on week three, you had to get to week three to have that moment. They could save the play date for you for the rest of the library. If anything else, if everything else was bad, at least you had this game, right? Right. So I think like there are things to be learned with regards to early week choices. I think the longer the season goes on, the less important your ordering decisions are. You just need to make a strong first impression. And I think that was really lacking. The other point, which I mentioned when we were talking about those individual games, is you've got two asteroids space spaceflight games, one of which is significantly better than the other, unfortunately. Uh, and Demon Quest 85 and Spellcourt, like one of them really nails it and the other one kind of doesn't. Uh, I understand that like if you were reading the descriptions, you wouldn't necessarily get the feeling that these were basically the same game. But if you look at the actual core mechanics that are being used here, they are basically the same game and Spellcorked is way better than Demon Quest, even though I personally prefer the aesthetic of Demon Quest. So I think like there is more uh there is more to be analyzed there with how you choose the games that make it into a season. Now let's go talk about uh getting other games on the playdate. Because of course, uh the season is over now. So everyone who has a playdate right now has access to basically uh, all of those games. But what if you want more games? Well, before you go there, I do have a quick question about season. So let's say I were to get a playdate now. Yeah. Would I get all the games or would I be in a journey of 12 weeks to get all the games? That's you would start like... at week one. Right, exactly. Is When you get the console, you start your journey in the season. Yes. I believe i haven't validated this but i know panic was talking about it i believe if you log into the playdate website you are able to basically unlock everything if you want it all right away because i think they got a lot of complaints with regards to that right okay now that we're more than 12 weeks after the launch give or take yeah i think it took a little bit more time than that for them to add the feature but yeah i think you can just go to the playdate website and unlock everything if not you can contact customer support and they'll do it for you i see okay so uh, side loading in SDK. Uh, before I get to that, uh, they have announced that they are adding a catalog app soon, which is going to be an official panic app store for the Playdate, through which you will be able to buy devices. Uh, sorry, you will be able to buy games on device. Uh, currently, hmm. this is not the case. You have to go through your computer and sideload games onto them, and you have two ways of sideloading games onto the Playdate. You can go to the Playdate website and upload via the web dashboard. And this will basically queue it up to be delivered next time your console checks in with Panic Server. If for some reason Panic Server goes away someday, you can also direct transfer over USB. Uh, but for a lot of people, that's just less convenient. Uh, so you can just do it over the web for most people. You can go buy games through channels other than Panic and load them onto your Playdate. Uh, you can go find them on either the Playdate Wiki or there's a lot of people who are selling on itch.io. And... As I mentioned earlier, every Playdate is a developer kit. So anyone can go to the website and download the Playdate SDK. Uh, you can build games in either Lua or C. 
Uh, I was very happy to see that the Lua toolkit looks very future rich and is incredibly similar to the Love 2D framework that I used for all of my game jam games. So I, there shouldn't be much of a learning curve for me uh, if I ever decide to write a game in Lua. In fact, uh, Panic even recommends prototyping against the Love 2D framework on their website uh, if you want to. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, the C toolkit is very analogous to Lua, uh, probably because I think the Lua APIs just bind directly onto the C uh, implementations, uh, but obviously allows for more flexibility with how you do memory allocation and all that stuff, uh, or more low-level stuff. I think the only thing that was omitted from the SDK uh, that is used in other games and Playdate software is network access. Uh, For example, Whitewater Wipeout has a public score leaderboard, but if you go look at the SDK, there's no way to download or send data to a server. So it's not clear how they're doing that if they're using the public SDK. Uh, So... I have had a couple ideas for network things that I would like to develop for Playdate, but until the network APIs are there, uh, I don't think I'll be doing that. And as I mentioned earlier, there's another option for people who are less familiar with coding, and that is Pulp. Uh, So Pulp is a tool that's inspired by GB Studio, which is a similar tool that was released in the past few years for making games for the original Game Boy. And what it is is a GUI tool that can be used in your web browser to create tile-based top-down games with no coding knowledge. So you have built-in map, tile, font, music, sound, and sprite editors, which is a lot of shit. And uh, tiles have specific types already, so you can set them as world, sprites, items, player, or exit. Uh, So you basically don't need to worry about implementing those behaviors yourself. They exist automatically. And it has its own rudimentary scripting language that is very easy to learn called Pulp Script, which you can use to implement custom behaviors for your game. The only real limitation to Pulp, uh, aside from the genre limitation, which you are building tile-based top-down games, is that it runs at half the resolution you have access to with the full-plated SDK uh, in order to mitigate the overhead of using the SDK. But otherwise, it's a pretty great option if you want to do something that looks like a top-down RPG, so a Pokemon-ish game or a Link's Awakening type game. Uh, yeah, it's not very well suited for anything that is very action heavy, uh, but anything that is relatively slow and could be considered turn-based in wide air quotes, uh, you should be able to get away with using Pulp just fine. Did you sideload any games? I have not. Hmm. Uh, I have seen that people have made Game Boy emulators for it, which is really funny, um, but I would rather play on my Game Boy Lite, to be honest. So <laughs> right, but you, you haven't seen any other games that were like other games that what are all you mentioned the uh playdate wiki which adds yeah. a list okay uh okay so nothing that would interest you or just that you'd look uh last time i looked at it the games that i was that i was interested in were not out yet and i have not Ooh. revisited them yet so i see uh, to be continued maybe okay so ultimately The Playdate is unfortunately a victim of the world it was brought into. Uh, The pandemic slowing down the release of the Playdate means that the gaming market in which it was announced and the one it was released in were considerably different. Um, One of the issues with sort of the over-reliance on charming games on the Playdate is that charming or wholesome games are absolutely everywhere in 2022. To the point of making a lot of the Playdate game library feel like it's chasing a trend that's been run into the ground already. Uh, I think if they had released in early 2020, maybe it would have been fine. 
Uh, but by now they're on the tail end of that, I'm pretty sure. And there's a lot of fatigue for these kinds of games in general gamer cir- circles, which is unfortunate for them. The other thing is with regards to the gaming event they wanted to create with the seasonal model. Uh, f- first of all, like obviously, as I mentioned, everyone got their devices at different times and were on offset schedules. So that didn't really happen. Uh, in practice, which is unfortunate. Now, if they do a second season, everyone who already has a play date can download them all at the same time. And that experience could happen. Um, but the other thing is that this isn't something that's not happening. New games launching directly onto subscription services like Xbox Game Pass cause the same kind of gaming event that Playdate was aiming towards having on a, having on a monthly basis. And these uh, Game Pass releases dominate the zeitgeist almost every time. When the Yakuza games went up on Game Pass, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing about the old Yakuza games for months. Uh, When Persona comes out next week on Game Pass, I'm pretty sure that everyone's going to be playing Persona for the next three months, at least. Because those games are fucking long, man. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I I didn't know those were coming to the Xbox streaming services. Yeah, they're they're releasing on Xbox and PS4 and Steam next week. Hmm. And I think Switch as well. Yeah, Switch as well. So, yeah, uh like 300 games, uh, 300 hour games dropping next week. Pretty sure we're going to hear about them for a long time because anyone who's subscribed to uh, to Game Pass is getting them for free. Uh so all of these things that would have been novel and interesting in 2020 are no longer that novel and interesting. And it's kind of unfortunate that timing worked out the way it did and that the playdate sort of became a victim to those circumstances. Um, and like, if you add on the sort of weird season one game ordering, I don't think it would have made a particularly good event either. Uh, so hopefully they can learn from that and give us a better season two. Do we know when season two is coming out? No. Huh. So we don't even know if there's going to be a season two. It's heavily implied that there's going to be a season two, but I don't know if they've said anything about it. I don't think they have. Right, because you, you mentioned that they're working on the play date store, more yes. or less, for apps. And maybe I'm misremembering... Misremembering... Maybe I'm forgetting about that detail. <laughs> but I... Thought I heard Panic say that they didn't want to build an app store and didn't want to be in the business of doing app store for the play date. So I kind of find it, and maybe, again, maybe my memory is wrong, but I was under the impression that they didn't want to do that. And I kind of find it weird that they kind of did a, possibly a 180 on that decision, if that was the case. I mean, I think that was their original perspective on it. I also think that there have been so many requests from people to build an app store for this thing, including developers. Uh, so I think knowing the trouble that Panic has had with the Apple App Store, I don't think they will make it necessarily as strict as Apple's App Store. Right. So I think there's that to look forward to. And there's always the side loading uh, thing that is going to happen anyway. So if you don't want to be on Panic's App Store, you don't need to be. But I think they just there has just been so much interest in reducing the friction of getting games onto the playdate because for some people even just going to itch.io paying with your payment provider downloading a file dragging it into a web browser to upload to your playdate and waiting for it to download is too many steps 
And I can kind of understand that when everyone's used to the convenience of app stores today. Right, right. Yeah, and the reason I bring this up is because if there's an app store for people to publish and, again, you buy a Playdate in three years, like, what's the purpose of getting a free season at that point if there's a bunch of apps on the store? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm not expecting you to have answer, but that's kind of my thinking right now about if there's no announcement about the season two, and even just a teaser that like season two is coming in twenty third, twenty twenty three. Like, if there's nothing of that, but they have a public announcement saying that they are building an app store, I worry if they'll do a season two. The other thing is like, how would you sign up for a season two? Would you do it over the web, or would you want to do it on device? Like, the, there's that too. It could also be the channel for a season two. Fair point. Fair but they point. they've said so little about this plan that. It's all speculation for now. It's just the, the name isn't even App Store. It's catalog, right? So it could just be oh. links to other stuff. Interesting. Yeah. So to be continued on that. Okay. Now let's get to the big question, which is, am I satisfied with the Playdate? Mm. So I have to start this off by saying, I don't think I'm a regular customer for the Playdate. I went into the Playdate not just because I'm a curious gamer, but because I wanted to support Panic. At its core, Playdate started as a 20th anniversary project for Panic. And they, I mean, like, by the time the Playdate came out, they were 25. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> um, but I also just wanted to show support for a company whose values in product and software design generally aligns with mine. I say that, but I also don't really have any reason to use any of their modern software because they solve problems that I already have solved elsewhere. And the thing is, I know enough about what's trendy in the indie development world to know that I probably wasn't going to come out the other side of the play day fully satisfied with the game lineup going into it. So my expectations were suitably low for what I was going to get out of the games library. My expectation was if I ordered a play date and in the end I got a nice piece of hardware and handful of games that I feel like playing from time to time, that's good enough for me. And through that sort of view like yes i'm satisfied with what i got for the playdate because i have i feel like i had realistic expectations going in that i was not going to be fully satisfied with the game lineup uh and i think if you're someone with tastes that align better with uh indie games of the last uh the past five years you will probably get a lot more mileage out of the system than i do uh, and i think it's really funny because sometimes there are things in these games that are like explicit references to like either tropes or memes from the indie gaming community of the last five years, let's say. And I think the people who would enjoy these games are more so people who are not gamers than the people who would get those jokes. <laughs> it's like a weird disconnect there. Uh, I think if you give this to someone who plays games very infrequently, and I think this is why it does so well in sort of the mech journalism space, where, let's face it, mech users are not playing very many games on their mechs, uh, people who play games varying frequently are probably going to have a better time with the play date because they aren't as picky and don't have as particular tastes as someone who just plays games all the time like me. Like I, I was talking to my boss the other day and I was like, uh, he was like, oh, what games are you playing these days? And I was like, oh, I'm 
playing this Japanese exclusive RPG on the PS1 that nobody's documented and I'm making a video about it for YouTube. And he was like, I played these two games. And I was like, I've never heard of these two games. And then I went and looked them up and they're the top rated games on Steam ever. (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay. So this is some indie game shit I've never heard of. And like, but you're a weird gamer. And take that as a compliment. Yeah, I know, but there are also a lot of weird gamers on the internet. And True. I, th- I think that's the thing is if you have really, like, if you take gaming seriously enough that you have a very strong idea of what games you are very into and what games you are very not into, come into the playdate with realistic expectations that you are not going to like everything on it because this is not a system that is made exclusively for you. It, it inherits a lot of the baggage of the last five years of indie gaming and if you don't expect that going in, they can't all be uh, for you. And I, I think I went in with realistic expectations and I got about what I expected. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So would you plan to possibly buy more games when there's a catalog that makes it easier to get than easier to browse what's available? Are you planning to play the 24 games more? So, yeah, I've, re- I've revisited all of these games in the last week just trying to figure out how I feel about them. And I think there are a couple of games that I want to sink a lot more time into, uh, okay. especially like Inventory Hero. I'm, I didn't get very far, uh, but I do want to play that game a lot more because I think it's probably the game, because it's so mechanics heavy and twitchy and all that stuff, it's the kind of game that I could also lose myself for six hours just playing that on a repeat. Mm-hmm. Um. There are a couple of games that I'm curious about that I will probably play more of, but probably not beat unless they're extremely short. And if there's a season two, I am almost definitely going to buy it because I'm just I'm just very curious about how a season two would turn out. So I kind of feel an obligation to <laughs> um, about the App Store catalog app. I think I'm probably only going to buy things that I have a very strong feeling that I am going to be aligned with and not buy anything else. Which is how I buy my games on any other console. It's not any different. Right. I was like, what's different? But Well, it's like for other consoles, though, where I have a physical option, a lot of the times there are games that I am borderline curious about but not super invested in that I will put in like gift lists for Christmas or whatever. Right. And sometimes those are great. Like sometimes I get games that I was not expecting to to like as much as I actually did. Uh, and sometimes they're exactly what I thought and it's like, well, okay, I'll play, I'll play a couple hours of this and then I got pretty much all the enjoyment I have to get out of this. Um, but like here, I, because I'm always going to be spending my own money, I'm probably just going right. to be getting only things that I am directly interested in and not experimenting too much with other stuff off the beaten path. I see. I see. That's the distinction that was missing, I think. So yeah, that's pretty much how I feel about Playdate. Did you have any questions? Uh, no, I think that's a great summary. And I'll have to think whether I'll... It changed my opinion uh, whether I'll get one or not. Mm. I'm still... Um, I don't think it's a bad device, but I'm still kind of like, eh. Uh, you know what? Once you're done, I know you want to revisit some games, I wouldn't be surprised that I might ask to borrow it. Yeah, that's fine. And see if... I would like to get one for me or not. Uh, but more than that, I don't think my, your episode 
really change my opinion. I want to experience it more than just 15 minutes, and I'm sure I'll ask it again over the weekend when we see each other. But uh, on top of that, I don't think so. I'm going to put it on the charge right now, so it's there for you this weekend. Uh, that's so kind. That's so kind. Because uh, maybe it's one thing they should do to fix their battery is to allow the crank to recharge the battery. <laughs> or just have G charging. <laughs> true, 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 true. Okay, so you can find all the show notes that Yannick has prepared for this episode at limitlesspossibility.net slash 192, so 192. You can find also our back catalog of episodes at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find the show on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. You can find us individually on Twitter. I'm at Lukonosh. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And Yannick is at... Sakurina, S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. We'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.